0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents, Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again this week on the program. And and I trust you've been enjoying the things we're sharing. We've really been digging deep in this third chapter of the Gospel of John. And I trust it's been a blessing to you to open your eyes to some things and I, again, I'm going to say before I even get started, you know, uh, that if you've missed some of these programs and you like what you're hearing today, but you think, boy, I've sure jumped in this thing in the middle of a, of a river that I'm not familiar with, uh, let me tell you that you can watch the former programs because everything that we have aired to date is archived on YouTube. It's on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can watch it at your leisure also, you can listen to the audio portions of it on uh, iTunes, on our podcast, or on your Android device. There is an RSS feed for that. Very simply, easy to do. won't talk too much about that, but you can go to my website at linhiles.com, And up in the upper right hand corner, there are icons of the iTunes, the YouTube, and the RSS feed Android device. If you tap on them, It is a direct link to those pages. That's the easiest way to do it. And then you can subscribe to the page, and every time we upload something new, you'll get a notification, and you can listen to it stay current. We appreciate you following us. You can also follow me on Facebook on my public profile, which is Lynn Hiles Ministries. We also uh, put them up there so that you can watch them. Uh, I would say while you're there at the website there's also a whole listing of products and CDs, DVDs, books, things we've written and uh, as well as a link where if you'd like to sew back into the ministry, if you've enjoyed what you're hearing, you'd like to give back to the ministry, it's available through that website. Enough said about that. I want to get back in the Word today. Uh, John 20 says that these things, the reason John wrote the book of John, I'm not going to take a long time with this because we have said this almost every program, is he said these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you would have life through His name. Uh, So everything He does is to, to the point of trying to get a first century, first of all, first century group of people to believe, especially lost sheep of the house of Israel to believe that He is the Christ, the one that they should have been expecting. And so Jesus is going to deal with one of the rulers of the Jews in John chapter 3, Nicodemus by name. But as I have shared with you over and over again, that each one of these miracles that Jesus does and everything He says is far bigger than I ever thought it was as I started digging in this because all of them are pointing to something that would confirm that He in fact is the Christ, the one that they were looking for and that believing they would have life through His name. And what, what I want you to see was that, you know, He started by showing, He started shifting their thinking because even John the Baptist goes through a crisis of faith because when he's about to be beheaded he looks at Jesus, or he, not he doesn't look at Jesus, he sends his disciples, he said, go ask him are you the one or should we look for another? Now here's John who was the very one in Matthew 3 who said right there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that declared there he is. He's the one that declared I'm the friend of the bridegroom. He's the one who declared and pointed right at Jesus said there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was taking it away from a natural lamb and pointing to a spiritual lamb. And when John did that, he's in prison, he's about to lose his head. He should have done what his other disciples did, that is followed Jesus and followed his own decree. He must increase and I must decrease. Because John was the last of the old covenant prophets and Jesus was introducing a new covenant. And when John was in prison he said, go ask him, are you the one or should we look for another? And you would think that Jesus would just go say, tell John Yahweh the one. But he said to John instead, go tell John, the blind see, the deaf hear, and the poor have the Gospel preached to them. I think in other words what he's saying is John you were expecting me to come as the refiner's fire and fuller's soap, which he would ultimately come as a few years later in AD 7. He would come as the refiner's fire and he would purge the sons of Levi and, and the judgment would begin at the house of God and all the judgment that John was prophesying about would come to pass uh, in the end of that old covenant age in A.D. 70. But not only did jo- but John, John's concept of, of, of Jesus' coming would be he'll come like a refiner's fire. He's going to burn and destruction and mayhem everywhere. And Jesus tells them, go tell John this. Tell John to look at the Isaiah passage the blind see, the deaf hear, the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, remind John that my first message, my first message in the temple is He sent me to bind up the broken heart, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to declare the year of the favor of our God. In other words, tell John that you were expecting me to come as this holy terror, and I came to come first of all as the Redeemer. He He ultimately keeps that side of what John thought, but see sometimes I think what we're expecting puts us in crises of faith when God don't act like we think He ought to act like. We get in crises of faith because we weren't able to make the change with it. And that if we can make that change we might be able to think differently and that's what Jesus is trying to get this first century audience to do with every miracle when He takes them out of the wilderness and feeds the multitudes, He feeds them on the bread. In other words, He brings them out of the city right after the Passover into the wilderness. He feeds them bread from heaven, or He feeds them the bread, feeds the multitude, five loaves, two small fishes. Makes a complete, it's a complete parallel to the Moses. Actually, this Moses brought them out of the wilderness, set them down in the wilderness, and gave them manna. And then they asked Jesus, what sign do you show us? And Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead, but I'm the, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. I think what he's trying to simply get them to see is you thought that was the bread, but that's not the bread, I'm the true bread that came down. In other words, he is trying to shift them from an old covenant thinking, an old covenant natural paradigm to a new covenant spiritual one. I can't get bogged down reviewing. Let me go to John 3 because I want to get Ezekiel 37. Says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, And no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and, and, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is the, everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now let me say again to you that what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is you thought natural birth was enough. But your ethnic background is not good enough. You being born of a natural seed does not get you into the kingdom. Your natural heritage and genealogy is not what gets you in the kingdom. Nick, you must be born again because this is not a natural kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom, and it's inclusive of Jew and Gentile. And then he begins to talk about that which is flesh is flesh. In other words, that which is carnal, that which is your genealogy, that which is your history is flesh. But that which is spirit is completely different. And if you get born again, Nick, you can not only see, but you can enter the kingdom of God. And then he comes in verse 8 and says, the wind blows where it listeth. And now here's the sound thereof, but canst not tell when it came, or whither it goeth, so is everyone that's born of the spirit. This word wind and this word spirit Are the same exact Greek words. It could be translated, the Spirit bloweth where it listeth. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Or it could be translated, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and so is everyone that is born of the wind. So, you know, in other words, the 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 Spirit of God being blown into us as we receive his indwelling spirit is what translates us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his dear son. And then Jesus and Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a master, literally a master teacher in Israel and you don't know these things? Verily I say to you, if we speak what we do know and testify that we have seen, that we have seen and receive not our witness. If we told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he's beginning to show him a shift from the natural to the spirit. Now we already addressed the reality that being born again is receiving the spirit of God into you, being born of not the incorruptible seed, but the incorruptible seed by the Word of God is the born-again experience. But when Jesus says to Nicodemus, are you a master teacher in Israel, and you do not know these things, I believe that Nicodemus's mind went to some of the Scriptures that would talk about the wind, that would talk about the Spirit, and that would talk about... Uh, that we'll would talk about, you know, uh, the, the wind coming. And uh, let, let me just go over here to Ezekiel and just kind of review just a little bit if I have to. I have to. Ezekiel 36, he talked about that Israel was like a woman with an issue of blood. But he said, What I'm going to do is, I'm going to come and I'm going to put my spirit within you. He says, I'm going to, and this is Ezekiel 36, verse 25, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols, while I cleanse you. A new heart will I also give you, and a new spirit. Those are all new covenant realities. And will put my spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and shall cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments. And I connected this scripture because in the verse above, this few verses above, Jesus, com- or not Jesus, but God, this prophet compares this woman Israel with a woman with, who was bleeding in the time of her uncleanness. It's not an accident that that's a hand-picked miracle that Jesus uses, and I think it is in John 8, is a woman with an issue of blood, because what He's doing is He's using these miracles to show you signs that He's in fact the Christ that's come to restore and fulfill all things that were spoken of in the prophets. But what He's talking about here, He does in fact do natural miracles, but there's a bigger, deeper picture with everything that He does including when he cleanses the temple he's trying to show you that's not the temple this is the temple the temple of the holy spirit and he's talking about again in these same text what would have joggled Nicodemus's mind is he's talking about spirit and he's talking about flesh so he's talking about, and he's talking about water, cleansing you. Uh, you I'm, uh, borning of the water and of the spirit and cleansing you and putting a clean heart in you. Nicodemus, who was a master teacher in Israel, would have known these scriptures and these pictures. And really he became a distant follower of Jesus even up until after his death because some of those from the synagogue came to beg the body of Jesus. Now let me take you into Ezekiel 37. It said, The hand of the Lord was upon me, he carried me up, up away out, out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. He's, Nicodemus would have been thinking about these scriptures. He would have been thinking about this kind of stuff. Uh, he would have been thinking about this kind of stuff. And he said, I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and put skin within you, breath, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. The bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Now remember, Nicodemus is thinking about wind, he's thinking about spirit, he's thinking about water, and if he's the master teacher in Israel, he's remembering prophecies of a coming resurrection and a coming restoration. The problem is he's thinking in terms of natural, but as we get to the end of this Ezekiel 37, you're going to see that he's not only talking about a natural restoration, he is talking about something much bigger that would involve the new covenant. And once again, I said to you you before, we put a lot of these scriptures eschatologically way out in our future, but these scriptures were historically fulfilled because they were taken captive uh, under the Babylonian reign, but they were restored under the Persians with Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra. But he said, Then said he unto me, Prophecy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to them, to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come upon, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, These bones of the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. Now I want to talk about the hope in a few minutes when I read a few things to you. Because the hope of Israel was Jesus. Jesus was, and you'll see, you know, uh, Colossians 1, 26 and 27 says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. So that's one of the hopes, and that's what he's talking about is the indwelling Spirit of God. And so he said, then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live. And I shall place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord, have spoken it, and performed it saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover thou son of man, take thee one stick, and write upon it for Judah, and for the children of Israel his companion. Then take another stick, and write upon it for Joseph the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel his companions, and join them one to another, into one stick, that they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto him, These saith Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribe of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with him, even the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in my hand. And the sticks whereon thou ridest there shall be in thine hand before even thine hand before their eyes, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel among the heathen, whither they have gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their land. Now look at this, And I will make them one nation in one land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall no more be two nations, neither shall there be divided any two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols." Uh, with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and will cause them, or cleanse them, so that they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now these are all new covenant promises here. And they shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments, and observe my statutes, and do them. I mean, when literally, when Bartimaeus cried out, son of David, he was recognizing that he was this is that this is the fulfillment when they cried out in the stable unto uh, us was born this day in the city of, of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. It was the king, the royal seed of David had now come on the scene. The one shepherd was when he told them in chapter number 10 of St. John, you thought they, those corrupt shepherds were the shepherds, but they're not the shepherds. I'm the good shepherd of the sheep. He's the one shepherd. Let me just say this as well, because I don't know how much I'll be able to remember to get into this when I get ready to film again. But the reason Jesus, even in John chapter 4, because we're going to get to that next, said he must needs go through Samaria. There's a reason why Jesus needed to go through Samaria. The reason Jesus needed to go through Samaria was because the Samaritans were the people who had split off of Judah and Benjamin and the ten tribes had divided and separated and they had been separated just like we're reading here out out of Ezekiel 37 it was, he said, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his fellows, and will put them with even the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. The, Israel had split. Israel had split, and ten nations followed one king, while two nations, or two tribes, followed the other. And they had been divided, and, and the ten tribes were separated and mingled themselves among many of the Gentiles until they had become Samaritans and unto the Jews they were uh, the, the people we don't even fellowship with. But Jesus is going to a woman at a well who is a Samaritan. He said, I must needs go through Samaria because I'm showing you the context of John 3 and 4 fit exactly with Ezekiel 37 because when Jesus says to this woman at the well, your people say we need to worship here, and our people say we need to worship there, and Jesus is doing something unusual. He is the royal seed of David who wants to bring both tribes back together, who brings both the scattered tribe. He wants to bring the two sticks back together, and the reason he's going to Samaria is once again a sign that he is the Christ, the royal seed of David, to bring back together this resurrected, if you will, Spirit of God breathing on the dry bones of the house of Israel, and he's about to make out of Jew and Gentile one nation, a people for his namesake, and bring them back together in a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God, where Jesus is Lord, both of the Jew and of the Gentile. It's funny to me that Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he's empty because religion hasn't satisfied him. But here's a woman at the well who doesn't come by night, she comes by day, and she comes to Jesus because she's been to the world, except the world didn't satisfy her. But Jesus, everything about this is screaming prophetic fulfillment from Ezekiel 37, from the woman bleeding to being cleansed and putting my spirit within you, to God coming down and sending the house of Israel like a bunch of dry bones who are dead and they don't have any life inside of them. And I, I just want to just, uh, let me let me get down here towards the end because it's so powerful. I'm going to join, he said, I'm going to join them one to another and the two shall become one in thine hand. That's being fulfilled in Christ. Now let me just skip down. It says, Uh, verse 22, I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel and one king shall be king over them all and they shall be no more two nations, they shall be uh, divided and neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore. Verse 24, and David my servant shall be king over them. Now that can only be talking about Jesus. And they shall have one shepherd. They shall walk in my judgments, observe my statutes, and do them. And they will dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be prince over them forever. Hebrews 4 tells us that the promised land is not just a piece of real estate, it is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you again, these were historically fulfilled in Ezra and Nehemiah, but also they find their prophetic overtones fulfilled in their ultimate fulfillment that these scriptures can only speak of Jesus. David shall be their prince forever. That can only be talking about Jesus. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. That's the new covenant. I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever my tabernacle also shall be with them, and yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I do sanctify I, I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. And to put the nail in the proverbial coffin where he's talking about I'm going, listen, he says to to them I'm going to make my covenant of peace, that's the new covenant. I'm going to set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever. My tabernacle shall be with them. Yea, I will be with their God, and they will be with my people. Paul the apostle quotes the scripture. Let me see if I can find it real quickly here. But Paul the apostle quotes this very scripture in the latter part, in Second Corinthians chapter six, in verse number sixteen. 2 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, Second Corinthians six, in verse number sixteen. Paul talking to the Corinthian church correcting them of their idolatry uses a very straight quote from Ezekiel 37. It says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols, for you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, quoting from Ezekiel 37, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord of hosts, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my sons, and you will be my daughters. Now let me just see if I can read a few things to you as we have just a few minutes left. I'm going to read this to you so it makes it quicker. It says, The resurrection of Israel is vividly portrayed through the metaphor of dry bones resting in the valley. The question raised by the prophet in Ezekiel 37. Can these bones live again? A glimpse of this historical setting for this prophecy is found in 2 Kings chapter 24 verse 25. Because of the evil of Jerusalem and Judah, God cast them out in the presence in the 11th year of King Zedekiah. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar encamped the city and built a siege wall round about it, holding the people hostage. And for almost two years, and created a severe famine in the land. And they were scattered. Then they were desperate to attempt to escape. And King Zachariah and his army broke through the wall and fled through a hole to the plains of Jericho. And they were pursued and overtaken by Nebuchadnezzar's army and scattered. Uh, and by Nebuchadnezzar killed the sons of King Zedekiah before his face. They put out their eyes and, and carried them away Babylon. That's when that, uh, that catastrophe happened. The, they, they were cast out of God's presence. Jerusalem and Judah were dead. The plains of Jericho had become the scene where Zedekiah's army was defeated. The, the deportation of the people perhaps caused many of the bodies to be left in the open valley, and they were like a whole a bunch of dry bones." THE MEANING OF THE DRY BONES IS THE DRY BONES REPRESENTED THE WHOLE HOUSE OF ISRAEL. METAPHORICALLY SPEAKING, ISRAEL'S BONES WERE DRIED. THEIR HOPE WAS LOST. THEY WERE CUT OFF FROM GOD, WHOSE HOPE WAS ISRAEL. IF YOU CAN SEE THAT THE HOPE OF ISRAEL WAS ACTS 28, VERSE 14, ALSO First Col- uh, COLOSSIANS 1 27, CHRIST IN YOU AND AMONG YOU AND THE GENTILES, THE HOPE OF GLORY. Israel receives life when they return to God in repentance and are reunited in His presence. It is then that He would open up their graves and bring them into the land of Israel with the, while this prophecy may no doubt have served to give the captives hope. The scope transcended their physical and captivity and deliverance to something much greater of importance. We, re, we com- commented on other studies of the work and the role of, of Israel's new birth mentioned in uh, uh, chapter 36. This sets the time of the true fulfillment beyond the ancient history of the nation to the time of the apostles in John chapter 3 and verse number 7. That's what Nicodemus was seeing as the restoring. The fulfillment begins with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when God breathed on them and it came like a mighty rushing wind. Remember Nicodemus thought about wind. Acts 2 28. Speaking of the future restoration to God through Christ Isaiah prophesied, your dead shall live again. Like the dew that falls on the mountains of Hermon, God was providing for His seed a way for the power of a resurrection life to come forth. We have shown that the land promise being fulfilled metaphorically in Christ, it does not refer to a geographical Palestine. Israel's hope for resurrection is carried through the New Testament in John 5, 28, Acts 24, 14 and 15, Acts 26, 6-8, through 8, Romans 13 and 11, 2 Corinthians 5 and 5, Israel's graves were opened when God's deliverance came to a people. We are out of time. I hope that makes sense to you. You must be born again to see the kingdom. Join us next week at the same time. God bless you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.